0: Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, and uh, we're plugging away here. Uh, we um, we've been talking about the last few weeks, and really, uh, the one of the reoccurring themes that has come up over and over again in the book of Colossians is that there's suffering, there's trials in this life, and I'm reminded today. Uh, that we're going to talk about that some more and how Christ fits into those. So I want to encourage you now. I will stand in honor of God's word. I'd like to read to you the first five verses of the book of Colossians. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those who are in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of fullness or full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that one may delude, no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. God, I ask that you would work us through this passage and work this passage into us, that you might change our hearts, uh, renew our minds, that you would help us to see clearly your message uh, through your Holy Spirit this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're in the midst of the, the playoffs, the NFL playoffs, and I'm super excited. I'm super excited. Is anyone else super excited about the playoffs? Steelers fans, Steelers fans, Detroit Lions fans, they're, they're never going to be in anything. So we'll get them next year is always their, their battle cry. You know why I'm so excited about uh, football season, uh, the playoffs and everything? Because it means that football's almost over. And baseball starting, and that's pretty exciting. One of the things I do like about football is that they play hurt. They play hurt. And it's not so good, you know, that they play hurt because sometimes they hurt themselves more in playing hurt. But I love the idea of just tape me up and send me back in. That I, I I'm so committed, I'm so committed to winning this game that I'm willing to play hurt, willing to play hurt. And I get this picture throughout uh, the book of Colossians thus far as we have gone through it, that Paul talks about trials and struggles. And the first verse we're going to look at this morning, he talks about that it hurts, it hurts to do this thing called the church, that it's a struggle, that there's pain involved. And not to, you know, I know how most of us deal with pain. If If it hurts, we stop, we stop. If if something hurts us over and over again we're we're good thinkers and we go note to self I'm not going to do that again you know I I think about uh my my times on the ski slopes and it's just been a painful couple of days that I've been up there in various times and tries and and I've come to the place where I just don't do that I just don't do that because it hurts too much there's a a phrase that is true it says something about the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That's true. That's true. I'll tell you firsthand knowledge, that's true. And so most of the time, that's the way we relate to pain involved in our lives. And yet as we look at chapter 2, verse 1, look at what it says. For I, I want you to know how great a struggle I have had for you and for those who are at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Paul says again, he says, I want you to know about my struggles, my struggles. I want you to know how hard it is. Sometimes when people say things like that, you go, oh, you want a pity party. And you think maybe as Paul writes this, you're going, oh, you want us to feel sorry for you, Paul. That's not what he was saying. He was talking about the worth of the local church. We don't know exactly exactly. the the people we don't have a whole lot of names or what what they were but he says for you all the church at Colossae for the church at Laodicea another local church like yourselves and others who had not seen me face to face as I read through Colossians I always want to think that Paul had this great relationship with the Colossian church I want to think that he grew up there you know, when, when, you, when you think of someone who's a hometown guy, he, he grows up in, in a town and he knows the people because he spent time with them. He grew up in their neighborhood. He went to school with them. And, and he has all these great friendships and relationships. And yet that's not the case. That's not the case. In fact, I'm convinced that he's never met most of these people. And yet Paul says, I struggle in your behalf. The church there, the church in Laodicea, and others who had not seen me face to face. I think about that pain and, and whether it's worth it thing over and over again as it comes up in the book of Colossians. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And Paul's saying, I want you to know about my struggle. And he's not saying, I want you to know how dumb I am that I keep doing this thing that's painful over and over again. As you read through the New Testament and different accounts of Paul's life, you think about Paul, if you were his friend, if you're his friend, and he says, hey, um, you say, typical greeting for a week. How was your week? How was your week? And he said, oh, not so good. Not so good. I got beat up. I got beat up. And he goes, oh, you got beat up? What were you doing? Well, just what I do. I'm a missionary. I go in and I got beat up this week. I said, oh, Paul sounds like your job's dangerous oh yeah it is oh yeah i got stoned a while back i got stoned they were crushing me with these rocks another city they threw me out of another city they mocked me and another city i got imprisoned and they said whoa whoa whoa." paul grab your computer go online (laughs) careerbuilder.com you need another job here paul this isn't working out. I saw this list. It was an article on five jobs that'll make you happy and make 100,000 a year. You need one of those jobs, Paul. You, you don't want to do, it's too painful what you're doing. You're going to die doing what you're doing. It's not a good thing for you. Paul says, I want to tell you about the struggle that I had for you all. I, I want you to know that I'm doing this at cost because of You. And it's encouraging to us, isn't it? Because sometimes we want to quit. That's the picture that Paul's uh, painting here. Last week we talked about Christ, this week it's going to be Christ again, and next week too, and so on and so forth. But but what he's saying, what he's connecting with, he says it's painful. It's painful to walk with Christ, and yet it's good. It's worth it. It's worth worth it. And you're worth it. And you're worth it. Paul's really not just talking about his own relationship with Christ. He's not saying, you know, this is uh, personally rewarding for me. But I'm thrilled to do this on your behalf, on your behalf. Chapter two, it starts out with Paul struggling for them, struggling for them. You know, um, they were local churches and we're a local church, Bear Valley Church. A group of believers that meet here. And I think, I don't think about this often enough, but I, it's super important when I come to a passage like this that I think about this. Do you know how weird it is that you showed up this morning? Do you, have you ever thought about that? Uh, we have two services, there's 200 plus probably that have showed up today, maybe a little bit more. Uh, you know, do you understand how weird that is that none of you got paid to be here? You say, "Well, is there another church we can get paid to to go to? Maybe I need to switch churches." You, no, you showed up here on your own free will. You came here, and and there wasn't a sense where we you know handed out twenty dollars at the door. Maybe we'll do that sometime. But I, I get the get the picture in our mind that that sometimes we 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 come to church and maybe pastor's not preaching like he should maybe you didn't like the the particular songs that were sung maybe someone said something unkind to you and you said i'm not going back there it's not worth it it's not worth it it's not worth being involved in that church it's not uh, and, and sometimes it feels that way doesn't it maybe you've struggled with that is it worth it And I I look at this passage, and I see what Paul's doing, and he says, I struggle on your behalf, and I don't even know you. I don't even know you. There's people that I haven't seen face-to-face before, and I struggle on your behalf. Paul's going to tell why, and I think that's super important for us to see this morning. And really, the why is so that they would have a foundation on which to attain or to reach the riches that they so desperately need, a foundation. And this is what he says, verse 2. That their hearts, being those churches and those people who hadn't seen him face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the fullness of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. But first, the foundation. There's two things he says about the foundation. He says, this is my goal. This is why I'm taping it up and going back in there. This is why my back's killing me, but I, I'm still going to push on. This is why it's dangerous and I'm going to keep going. It's for these two things that the church would have. First thing that they would have is they would have encouragement in their hearts. Encouragement in their hearts. The the idea of there being is one alongside them to give them encouragement, cheering them on, and the idea of admonishment as well admonishment as well. Um, the reason I think it 's important to re- remind us that it 's admonishment so sometimes the the cheering on that we need uh, you know uh, I know there 's some grandmas here, and I realize i 'm i 'm treading on dangerous ground when you start talking about grandmas but you know, uh, it's interesting when grandma's around, and um, maybe some of you have disciplined your kids around grandma. Uh, that doesn't work so, what, really well sometimes because you're trying to correct them, and they're going, "Oh, they they didn't know. They were tired. They, you know, just just uh, you know, they just need a nap. They don't need to obey right now. They just need a nap. You know, if they weren't so tired, they wouldn't they wouldn't have you know punched their sibling. You know." Yeah. Sometimes the, the the idea of admonishment, this encouragement of their hearts is the idea of cheering them on, keeping them going. In sports, this happens all the time. It happens all the time. They They get together and they go, come on, we got to do it. We got this much left on the clock. We got to get it now. It's not like, oh, you know what? You look tired. Maybe you should sit down. Maybe you should quit and we'll come back next week. No, the time is now and he, he's saying this he's saying they need encouragement in their hearts the idea of heart in the bible when we read that sometimes we struggle especially those of us who have had had heart problems and we've gone to the heart doctor and we realize that the heart is a muscle and it pumps the blood like this and it it squirts it out the right ways and it keeps it going through the body and we realize that the heart is a muscle that's critical to our, our living but all the thinking and stuff goes on up here right In the Bible, when it speaks of the heart, it's talking really about the mission control center of us. It's our person and who we are. And he says, not on the outside do you need encouragement, not just a little casual thing to help you through, but in the deepest part of who you are, you need encouragement. You need encouragement. Why? Why? Why do we need encouragement? I think it's real simple. Because when we're discouraged, we just lay down and die. Lay down and die. Can't accomplish anything. Can't accomplish anything. We won't seek after God. We won't look for Him. We'll just go, oh, I just don't feel like doing anything. Discouragement makes a quitter. Encouragement causes us to go on and to to proceed and to, to accomplish that's the first thing that Paul says. This is the reason I struggle for your encouragement in your heart. So that you'd be encouraged to to we're going to get to why we need to be encouraged. The second thing he says, united in love. United in love. And I really believe these two things are foundational to what we need. These are two building blocks, if you will, uh, for for what we're looking for and what we need. They knit together in love, knit together in love. Once again, within the church, it's really interesting how this this goes together. We like to be by ourselves, right? We like to be by ourselves. Most of us uh, like our space, personal space, right? If I got if I was a close talker to you, most of you would kind of do this, right? You'd kind of go, you know, and I, if I was saying if I was talking real loud, especially, you'd kind of go, oh, you know, and I could. We need space, right? Most of us, um, some of you, come to the second service because you like space. You know, too many people in that first service. Uh, Would you like the idea of being personal and and doing your own thing and being an individual? In fact, our country loves it, loves the idea of being an individual. When you when you go out in the parking lot, you like to get yourself into your car and then drive away without hitting anybody in the parking lot, right? You like to just be by yourselves. And yet, the picture of Scripture, I think of some passages in Ephesians where it talks about being built together, being knit together. This passage right here, being united, being, the idea of being stuck together, stuck together. This is what he describes the local church to be like that we are to be stuck together or united in love. United in love. The idea of being united, it's not just simply stuck together, but it's the idea of being stuck together the same, being brought together, thinking the same thing. It's not just being together. Some of us have uh, families that that are get together a lot, but it's not necessarily good when it gets together. There's fighting and yelling, and there's a sense of being unkind with one another. But we have a family that's stuck together, and yet there's chaos that happens. I'm not describing my own family every day. But um, the, the idea that it's not necessarily always united. It's not the idea that we are together doing the same thing, focused on the same thing. And yet the picture in the church, how do we get united? How do we come together together? It says united in love, and if you look at this passage, the context, it's talking about what Christ has done, what Christ has done. I I think the church is always such a unique thing because we are so different. We are so different. As, As I look at this church here today, and I think of the people who showed up at the first service, we're different. There's not a sense where we would come together unless we had a common thing that brought us together. And what is it? It's a love of Christ. It's a love of Christ that he is the one that gets us together, not just in the same room, but unites our hearts with one another. These two things really describe the peace and the the strength, the empowerment, if you will, to do what comes next in this passage. These two things are the reasons that Paul struggled. Middle of verse 2. Middle of verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Knit together in love. Why do we need to be encouraged, knit together in love? Simple. To reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Which is Christ. It's upon this foundation that we are able to reach for Christ. To reach for Christ. To to get to Him, to understand who He is. That we would sense a fullness to His His gospel, that we would understand who He is in a personal way. I think about this, and it's really hard to describe because it, it talks in such big language. It says in, in verse 2, it says, with full assurance, the idea of completely understanding Christ. And we're going, oh, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I have the capacity for that. You see, this is, this is where we are at. This is what we are seeking after, is to know Christ, to know Him. I, I think about um, who Christ is and, and how we miss out on how great He is. I think of a story I heard a couple of years ago, true story. Uh, There was a a baseball player, and he was trying to make the major leagues. He was a pitcher. And he was just a normal guy. I think sometimes we think that some athletes and celebrities don't have a life outside of what they do. And this particular man did. He had a family. Um, He wasn't particularly had a lot of money. He, he He hadn't made the big leagues yet. No big paycheck for him. But he had this uh, elderly aunt, and uh, she, she didn't have a whole lot of money. She had this kind of obscure piece of property out in the country. It wasn't in Tehachapi, but it was, it was out in the sticks, and I believe it was Massachusetts. I think it was about 50 acres. And he was trying to make the major leagues, and he was doing all this stuff, but she had this piece of property, and she, she needed money to get into this nursing home. She didn't have any money. And so he said, oh, I kind of like the land. you know. I, I looked at it a couple times. I'll buy it. I'll pay you $50,000 for, I think it was 50 acres, 30, 50 acres, somewhere in there. So he buys this piece of land, and he's still focused on his baseball career, and he, he really wants to make the major leagues. And he decides he's going to build a home on this piece of property. And as they were grading, they realized that there was this, these weird-looking rocks that were different than any they'd kind of seen before. And they needed to cut through some and move them to build a pad. And he realized he needed to get someone to come out and really, you know, how to deal with this. And they found out that this was incredibly valuable rock that was on this piece of property. In fact, they had experts come out, and they estimated that the rock that is on this man's property that he paid $50,000 for is about is worth about two billion dollars two billion dollars, and I think about that and I think about he didn't he was just stumbling around right he was going through life he was doing his aunt a favor he he didn't think about the worth of the rock he didn't say that this was this great investment, but it turned out to be so point being that we stumble around and we I stumble over Christ. Maybe some of you here this morning, you're like, I wasn't focused. I wasn't seeking after Christ, but I stumbled upon him. Even if you stumble upon Christ, there's a danger. We'll get to those at the end. But but do you know the worth of Christ? Do you understand what, what you have in him? He speaks of these full riches, the, these These riches that are to be sought after to reach all the riches of the fullness full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Do you understand the riches of Christ this morning? Have you have you found him? Have you found him? Have you found the riches that are found in Christ? You see, that's that's what we need. That's what we need to be reaching for, seeking after. It says God's mystery in here, and the point being of God's mystery, it's that His story, His plan, it was His desire that if you read through the whole Bible, there's a sense in which it is culminated in Christ. The whole story is in Christ it's looking to him and, and seeking after him. And then he comes upon the scene and he's accepted. He's the Messiah to come. He gives himself a sacrifice. He, he died and he rose again. That we would have victory inside him. And that for eternity he would be worthy. He would be worthy. We look at this and we say, well, some, it is kind of a mystery. Like in the Old Testament times, they didn't always know that Christ was coming. And they didn't always understand what God was doing. In the New Testament, you have people that are really in the presence of Christ and they reject Him and they go after other things. It seems like such a mystery. And even now, that God would love sinners like us, it's somewhat of a mystery to me. And he says, yes, it's a mystery, but the mystery is so simple as well. It's Christ. All the riches are found in Christ. Verse 3, verse 3. Excuse me. Verse 3 tells us this that in Christ, look at it with me, please, Um, which is Christ, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I know that may not sound all that significant in our English, but when you think about that, you say, wisdom and knowledge, wisdom and knowledge. And it says, all wisdom and knowledge is found in Christ. That verse is saying that all we need is Christ. It's saying all we need is Christ. He's everything. He's everything. I think about the book of Proverbs. And I don't know if you've read the book of Proverbs. It's the great wisdom book of the scriptures. And I think about... All that's in there, it's a lot about wisdom and the fool and how you tell the difference and how you can be wise. And I struggle with that. I I think, how can you get the whole book of Proverbs? How can you get it? It's in Christ. It's in Christ. To have him is to have everything. I think about, uh, like many of you, I went to one of the great uh, schools of our state, Santa Barbara City College. Many of you went to B.C. or A.V. And I, I took the, the philosophy class. I, I sat in a lecture hall and uh, some really cool professors said some amazing things that nobody understood. And we sat there and we were, oh, wow, that's deep. Oh, amazing. What a great philosopher. How, how great is his wisdom, And yet we seek after these things. I remember some of the students clamoring for this guy's attention. They'd go to seminars off school time and they'd hear of other people who had all these deep thoughts. And we say there's something out there and yet what does it say in verse 3? In him or in Christ in whom all wisdom and knowledge is. He's the only one that has it. He's got it all. He's got it all and it's found in Christ. I think so often about our, our world today. About what we're seeking. And, and even as it says it in, in verse 3, it, it talks about this wisdom and knowledge as being what. Look at it. Verse 3 says, In whom are hidden all the treasures. Treasures. You see, there's a value here. There's an amazing riches that are found in Christ, in His wisdom and knowledge. That he's the one. I, I think of people that I, I have known and even dabbled in myself the idea of seeking after riches. We want to be rich. We, we like the idea. We, we pursue those things. We, we think it would be great if we had the riches. I used to watch as a kid different shows where they were uh, looking for sunken treasure, and I used to always love them be out at sea and they, they would have these maps and they would talk about why they're at the particular place and what they hope to find. And they'd go down and they'd have these, these divers and they'd find things. it gets so exciting. And I would dream, I'd go, wow, wouldn't it be great? I remember seeing some shows about gold prospecting. And even today how how some were you know got their scuba gear and they're in some river and they're they got some vacuum and they're they're vacuuming these things up, hoping to find gold, I thought, wouldn't it be great if I found gold? my backyard wouldn't it be awesome? Never happened. never found any gold in the backyard in Santa Barbara, avocados, maybe gopher holes, yes, but no never any gold. We love the idea of of riches. And yet, what does it say in verse 3? That all the riches, the the wisdom of His knowledge, is found in Christ. Verse 3 tells us He's all we need, worthy to be sought after.